Season four of Formative is brought to you by the generous support of Macy's Inc., whose purpose is to create a brighter future with bold representation for underrepresented youth so we can realize the full potential of every one of us. Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Dr. Damon Love joins us on today's show. He's the founder of Seed STEM program. He wants his legacy to be about teaching the next generation of scientists, and we're so grateful to have him share his story. Hello and welcome. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co-host today is Aiden from IS295. Aiden, tell us a little bit about yourself. I hear you're an athlete. I'm 13 years old. I'm a middle school basketball player, and I was born and raised in New York. I want to like continue to play basketball. I want to work on my skills, like to like play, make, and score. And as well as I play basketball, I also sit at home and play video games, listen to music, all that stuff. Work out. It's just what I like to do. In school, I like to learn about new things that I haven't learned about. Like, for example, in science, I like to learn about, you know, like how plants and animals work. And for ELA, I like to like learn about like books and stuff. So, you know. Who are you going to be interviewing today? I'll be interviewing Dr. Damon Love, the co-founder of a STEM organization. Well, let's bring them on. Welcome, Dr. Love, and thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor. What inspired you to pursue your career? That's a good question. So let me back up a little bit. When I was your age, I liked to get into stuff. I mean, I was also a student athlete. Baseball was really my main thing. And then in college, I actually went on and ran track. But early on, I always found that I liked to take things apart and put them together. It was just what I did. And somewhere along the line, that became what I then didn't know, but now came to appreciate that that's just part of the discovery process. And when I described science to anyone from adults to kids, I describe it as a very natural thing. It's not one of those things that's, you know, only for the guys in lab coats or whatever. Science is a very practical thing. And it begins with just making an observation and figuring out what's going on and then eventually kind of describing what that phenomenon in nature is. So some people say you're called to it, but that's really what kind of inspired me, just my natural curiosity to see what makes things tick. So like following that, what age did you get inspired to do this job? I work for a pharmaceutical company. I'm a, a medical director, but I also co-founded my own company with my wife. So I knew that I wanted to help people probably when I was your age. I just didn't know how. And as I got older or when I got into high school, I said, ah, I want to cure cancer. After I graduated college, I said, I want to go get a PhD and work as a scientist and help discover drugs. Um, the STEM program, that was a little different. I had benefited from programs like that as a kid. And my wife decided that she wanted to do a STEM kind of program. 
but we didn't really exactly know how she wanted to do it. And she was saying, Hey, you know, you have all this to teach, you have all this to give. And we actually started out, I'd give cancer workshops into the community to understand what cancer is and how to talk to the doctor, uh, what questions to ask, understanding the treatment, basically a whole soup to nuts, you know, in plain English, what cancer is. And that turned into teaching children science and teaching what I know. So it went from, hey, why don't you teach all these people the stuff that you know about cancer to, you know, why don't we teach the next generation of scientists? All of that part happened probably within the last five or six years. So it's been kind of an evolving, growing thing that started when I was your age. With that answer, like, I'm just curious to know, like, was there anybody at any point in time that says you couldn't, like, do it? And like, if there was, how did you handle it? When I was young, I did have one teacher, I think it was in kindergarten, that I, I don't know, I'd always ask questions. And she at one point, one time said, Dana, stop asking so many questions. So I went home with that. And then later my mom had learned that I was kind of quiet in class. And she said, you know, what, what's going on? And I think I just casually mentioned, oh, you know, my teacher just told me I was asking too many questions. And she got angry because she was saying no child should be discouraged from being curious and asking questions. So from early on, other than that one time and early in life, I wasn't told that I couldn't do something. It wasn't until I went on past college and was in graduate school working on my PhD when somebody asked me what my goal was. And I told him, I said, I'm trying to cure cancer. And she said, oh, you're not going to do that. People have been trying that for years and haven't gotten anywhere. So of course, I'm the kind of person that you tell me I can't do something. I'm going to, if not for no other reason, out of spite, I will tell you, I'm going to try to do it. So fortunately, throughout my young life and adult life, I had the right people who supported me and encouraged me. So they didn't kind of steal my thunder at an early age. Like, as you said, that you wanted to cure cancer. Uh-huh. Is it? Do you still want to cure cancer or was it like like a dream in the past? No, I still want to. So the one thing you have to learn, if you can make your goal or your dream more important than just what you want to do, then you'll always go after it. For example, if somebody said, oh, you know, if you said, I just want to make the basketball team because it will be cool to make the team. You might fight and try to get on. And then eventually you say, you know what? This is too hard. It's not worth it. And you give up. But if you said, no, I want to be, I don't know, a professional basketball player so that I can fulfill a promise I made to my grandmother. So I don't know, I'm just making something up. Then no matter how hard it gets, you're still going to say, you know what? I'm not doing this for me because I'd have quit a long time ago. I'm doing this for, you know, whatever that thing is. So for me with cancer, it's a big audacious goal. It's something that folks have been trying for years and are still trying and haven't quite gotten there. My career has taken me in different directions. It hasn't made me forget about my ultimate dream. So what I'm doing right now isn't right at the lab bench like I was, say, a number of years ago. But I believe that with what I'm doing and the way I'm kind of approaching the problem, I'll eventually get there. So it's a dream that I had for a long time and I haven't given up on it. So the short answer is... Yes, it's still a dream. The long answer is 
it's an old dream. Yeah. So I remember how you said like you used to play sports and I used to play like multiple sports. Mm-hmm. And like, is there any sports like that you did that connect to your STEM program now? Well, connect in what way? I mean, as in connect as like, do you try to like influence sports on kids through STEM? Well, okay. So I sometimes use my experience with sports as something that other people can understand. For example, I was talking about how to design experiments. And there's something called the scientific method. And one of the key important aspects of the scientific method is something called reproducibility. In other words, it's one thing to do an experiment and come up with an answer, but you have to be able to do it again and again, because if you can only do it one time and nobody else can come behind you and do the same thing, then nobody can trust it. So when I explain reproducibility, sometimes I'll talk to kids who've played sports and I use some of my experiences and say, okay, well, if you made a jump shot without looking, could you trust that it would go in again? Usually they'll say, oh, no. I said, but if you did the same thing over and over and over again and did that same trick shot, say, seven times out of 10, then you could say, oh, I trust it because now I have a reproducible method. So usually I can draw upon some of my experience with sports to help connect with other kids who can understand sports maybe more than they can understand a concept in science. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. During your STEM program, like what plans in the future do you want to achieve? Okay. My big plan is we want to redefine the way STEM education is taught to kids. It's a big goal and we'll get their baby steps, but I can be impatient. So I've been a scientist in a lot of academic places. I was at Morris Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York. I was at Cornell doing work. I've worked in the pharmaceutical industry. And what I've done is taken all those experiences and said, okay, let's design a program where we can teach kids the stuff that I know. They're your age, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, all middle school kids. So they're learning things that we've had for college students who would assist. And they'd say, you know, we haven't even seen this stuff. So we're showing them things that you might not see to high school, you might not see to college. You might not see till after college. We will use microscopes all the way up to using biotechnology to solve crimes. We were doing gene therapy a little while ago where they took bacteria colonies, inserted a gene, it's called the green fluorescent protein that makes jellyfish glow green, transferred that into bacteria so the bacteria would glow green. So they were doing, doing a lot of high level experiments and applications And we found that if we show you how to do it, give you the right tools, they'll do it. So you could do this stuff. And right now it may seem like science fiction or like, well, doing stuff that you probably wouldn't normally be exposed to even after you graduated high school. And the idea is if we can have children understanding science and being able to think critically and break down any barriers of what they thought they knew before, By the time they get into high school, high schools will have to up their game. Then they go, we have to increase how we teach kids because they already are too advanced and we don't want them bored. So 
that is what we'd love to do. And then build a pipeline for children of all backgrounds to be able to get into fields of science and really build the scientific community up with a whole new generation, new army of scientists that are just hit the ground running. It would be like you practicing with late Kobe Bryant or LeBron James or Kyrie Irving. If your middle school practices were with them, could you imagine the kind of player you'd be by the time you get high school? Yeah. So that's kind of what we want to do with science. Yeah, I understand. In the beginning, like of your of what you just said, you mm-hmm. said that you were impatient. So I just wanted to know, like, throughout your years of school, like college, were you mm-hmm. like couldn't you wait to get out? So I'll say it like this. So you know, as a scientist, you have to kind of be patient because things don't happen right away. You try things, they're going to fail because you're trying new things and eventually you have small victories. So you, there, there has to be some patience there. When I say I'm impatient, I mean, I don't always like to wait. If I can do something now, then I'm going to do it now. And I do sometimes struggle with the process because again, as an athlete, you know, you kind of get immediate gratification. You go out, you practice to play basketball and you win a game or you lose a game, but right then you get your results. So it's kind of difficult. Imagine practicing today and you don't get to play until two years from now, or you take a jump shot today and it won't go in till tomorrow. That'd be kind of frustrating, but you know, so, but your question was, did I ever get impatient and want to finish school at times? Yes. At times, no, I will say all my schooling, when I look back on how far I came, if you said, would you do it all over again tomorrow? If you woke up tomorrow and found out that you were only 14 years old and knew all that was ahead of you, I suppose I would, but it would be not fun. (laughs) When you're going through it, you don't quite know how tough it is all the time. You just kind of have a finish line you keep reaching for, you keep reaching for, you keep reaching for. One day you look back and say, wow, I, I really came a long way. But there were times that there are things that I loved about school, meeting my friends, learning a whole new part of the country. These were things that when I was in the moment, I was enjoying them. And I didn't want that to go away too soon. But yeah, yeah, there were times when I was like, oh, I can't wait till these finals are over. Oh, I can't wait till I said, don't have to do this anymore. So a little bit of yes, a little bit of no. Okay. Like, cause me, myself, I just wanted to ask that question because, uh-huh. you know, me, I'm impatient myself and I just can't wait to get out of eighth grade, go to high school. Um, and a lot of people tell me that like, you know, high school is like harder, but you know, it's like, it gets boring, you know, repeating like the same thing, like, you know. Well, enjoy eighth grade now, because you remember when you were a sixth grader, you were kind of like the little man on the totem pole. And then you yeah. became seventh grade. And you're like, oh, okay, there's someone at least a little under me. Now that you're in eighth grade, you're like, oh, I'm on top of the heat. I'm the man. Once you get to high school, you start all <laughs> over again. <laughs> you're back at the bottom. And, you know, so enjoy eighth grade because once you get to high school, you get to start that whole thing all over again. And you're probably the best dude on your basketball team now. Going to high school, I'm not saying you won't be good and you might not eventually be the best, but it'll be tough because then you'll be going on a team and the seniors are bigger. And the game's a lot faster and it's just starting the whole process over again. So you'll enjoy it eventually when you get the hang of it, but embrace what you got now because 
it's almost gone. Yeah. You'll get your wish. <laughs> Can you tell me about the specifics of what you do in the STEM program? In my role, I design all of the curriculum. I design the experiments. I do some of the teaching and all of what we do is built on the principle of kind of starting from the bottom. We take you along from what does science mean to you and understanding that it's very practical. In some way, everybody is a scientist. Everybody has carried out a science experiment. And when you, when we talk through what it really means, the process discovery, then folks can say, oh yeah, okay, I get that. We go from there to then building on how we study science. And usually one of the most essential tools or the most elementary tools for biological science is microscope. So we teach microscopy and how to study things under the microscope and what you're looking at. Then we go on to dealing with looking at samples of human tissue that we get from medical schools and understanding the structure and how that affects the human body. And then we go on and do microbiology. We're actually looking at bacteria, growing bacteria. Then we introduced genetics and their components of the scores. We actually have the students isolate genes and chromosomes from strawberries. And I take bits and pieces of things that I've learned, things that are applied in the pharmaceutical industry, as well as in academic labs and relating everything that you do in the lab to some practical application. So just yesterday we were using a technique where you could separate molecules using chemical applications. And then we said, this is who uses this and this is why they use it. And then when they go out and do the experiments, they get to see the principles in action. So all of that design is what I'm responsible for. You know, and then the other things that are involved in the company, my wife is a chief executive officer and she does all of the business side of things. So in my role with the STEM program right now, I'm doing all the teaching as well as designing the studies. The plan is that I'll probably move more into hiring people and I'll be responsible for teaching them how to teach the courses. So does that answer your question? Yeah, answer my question. Okay. Good. So when you're on the job, like mm -hmm. on and off days, what's your like daily routine? Sometimes it depends on the day of the week. Give you an example. So on Monday, I'll work from home and I'll start my day usually around seven o'clock meetings or whatever. And then I'm doing some type of research throughout the day until about maybe five, six o'clock. And then it's my downtime. I'll go work out, cook, spend time with the family. And then usually sometime that night, I start preparing for the lesson for the STEM program we're teaching the next day. I teach those um, every Tuesday and every Thursday. That's the only teaching I do now. Wednesday is the one day that I travel to my office in New Jersey from New York. And that's usually a full day of just meetings in person, kind of whatever I'm not able to take care of from home or working remotely. Last week, I was in Minnesota working with another physician scientist because we're running 
a drug study, we call them clinical trials, when you have a drug that you want to test before you can actually make it available to people. You're taking a drug in a small sample of patients, you test it, and you want to see, is it working? Is it safe? And you go through various processes like that until eventually, if you find a drug that does work and it works better than whatever the normal standard of care is, then it makes this case available. Well, that process, we're doing research collaborations with physicians all over the country. So some of my time I'm spending meeting with them and discussing the research, the problems, solutions, and so on and so forth. So from time to time, I have to travel a little bit. The only thing that's the same is I wake up and I go to sleep, spend time with my family and eat. <laughs> Other than that, every day is going to be a little different in some way. Do you see yourself working in that company for the rest of your life? So the pharma company that I work for, I won't be there for the rest of my life. The company we built, I hope to make that my legacy. So eventually that company will live on after I do. So yes and no, I guess. <laughs> no okay. to the company I work for. Yes to the company that I built. Okay. How long have you been working at this job and studying for it? So you could say in a way I've been studying since college. I went to Princeton University in college. I majored in neuroscience. So I was basically studying the brain and the nervous system. After college, I went on to graduate school to get my PhD. That was about five years. I studied, it's called molecular pharmacology, and it's really how drugs work and how they interact with the body and vice versa. After that, I went on to Cornell and Memorial Sloan Kettering where I was doing a lot of cancer research. That was about five years before I went into the pharmaceutical industry. I worked yeah. in, in clinical research there for about six years. And then I came to this company now where I've been for just about almost three years. Then the company we built, we started that back in 2018. The program really got into full swing in 2021. Yeah. So that's probably a long answer, but yeah, I would say good 14, 15 years of study and preparation to get me to the point that somebody felt that I was good enough to hire. What is your least favorite part about working with the company? The least favorite part about working with the company that I work for, I guess that it's not mine, so I can't call all the shots. I have enough responsibility that I do get to decide the direction and the strategy of what I'm in control of. So one of the things that can be frustrating about the pharmaceutical or biotechnology industry is there is the science and then there is the business side. And sometimes the business side of things will force you to have to make decisions that might result in a really good drug not being able to proceed further. So let's say you have two drugs. One really is effective for one disease. Another one is really effective for another disease, but maybe there's a greater need in one area than the other. The company might have to make a financial decision and say, we have to put our money here and we can no longer support building that drug. So those are the things that can be really frustrating when the science is good, but the money side of the business side of things has to 
force you to make a decision that, you know, it's tough. So those are some of the things that I don't like about the company, but then that's not my company as much as that's just how the industry works. Think of it like in the basketball team, you might have some 12 roster spots and 13 good players, but one person has to go. And it's like, oh man, if we could only, if we could have 13 plate spots, we'd have all players, but we got to let someone go. Well, mm-hmm. somehow, sometimes that happens. Yeah, I get it. Like following up with that question, what's your favorite part about working for your job? My favorite part is being able to help people. When I first said I want to be a doctor, I first said I wanted to go become a medical doctor and help people. Somewhere along the way, I realized I was more interested in research than actually practicing in the clinic. So I went and worked in graduate school, got my PhD, and I was researching cancer. And the idea that you can develop a therapy that can help people fight a disease that they otherwise didn't have good answers for is what really motivates me. Okay. For my last question, I just wanted to know, like, how do you plan to get more kids into your STEM program? So part of it is letting the administrators know because they're the decision maker. You know, you had kids in your class that sometimes might act out, sometimes aren't always the most attentive students. And what often happens is you might have the teachers just kind of, I don't want to say give up on them, but decide, oh, well, you know what? These are the good students. They're not the good students and therefore write them off. Well, we get all the students and we give them all the opportunity to really try things out. And what ends up happening is we'll get these administrators are like, hold on, you've got so-and-so in there? I'm like, yep. And then that gets their attention. So then they start talking to other folks. And they say, you know what, we want to have this in our program. And the more we can get you all to talk about your experiences, the better. So, you know, some of the kids, we had started working with them, trying to get them to do like TikTok stuff or social media things that kind of spread the word to show the fun that they're having to get other people excited. So we're still working on that. And, you know, we love to hear from kids their age, like what would work with you? What would make you want to join a program? What would make you want to talk to one of your friends and say, hey, you know, I try this out? I guess like maybe if it was like fun, because me personally, if something's boring, you know, I'm not going to want another kid to come in and be like, oh, this is boring too. So maybe like, for example, when I have off time in math class, we probably play like math games and stuff. Okay. And so that brings me more into math than just like learning about you know, stuff like book written and stuff. Yeah. So yeah, we try to make things very hands-on. We even do games. Sometimes we'll have pizza and we'll do things, but we'll disguise a test in the form of a game. Or once we did family feud, but all the topics are things that we would have learned. I mean, yep, there is going to be some component where you have to just listen. And that might be the boring part. But what I usually do is I say, okay, give me five minutes and 25 seconds, set the clock. Give me that much time to describe what we're doing. And then we start the lesson. And usually that works. Yeah. Usually. So we're trying, but getting input from creative people like yourself would be great. And thank you for giving me that feedback. You're welcome. 
that's really all my questions. Like, thank you. And it was really like interesting learning about you and like what you do. So I just want to thank you for that. Thank you, Aiden. It's been a pleasure. You're a really bright kid and you have quite a future ahead of you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us on the show today. And we ask all our guests the same question at the end of the show. If you could go back in time and speak to yourself when you were 13, what's one piece of advice you would give yourself? I would say study hard. Know that everything that you're doing now is going to benefit you in the future, even if right now it doesn't seem to make sense. And surround yourself with people who have the same energy as you. They don't have to want the same things, but they have to be as passionate about bettering themselves as you are about you. So if you love basketball and someone else loves baseball and someone else loves science, as long as you all are each going after the thing you love with the same energy, that's the people you want to be around. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick. My co-host today was Aiden from IS-295 in Queens Village. He was assisted by Valerie and Mandeep. Season four of Formative is brought to you by the generous support of Macy's Inc. Our production partner for this series is Citizen Race Car. This episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriella Montekin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org slash formative or wherever you get your podcasts.